Today's reading is from Colossians 1, 13 through 20. It can be found on page 1059 of the Bible's next year seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he lives, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making the peace through his blood shed on the cross. The word of the Lord. invite you to pray with me. Let's bow our heads. Our God of grace, we look to you and we hope in some way that we hear your voice. As we take a moment to uh, listen, it's a tradition that goes far back into those who worship you and those who follow you is to believe, to truly believe that through um, the preaching and teaching of the revelation of your story through scriptures, that we actually can hear your voice, that you've actually chosen for some mysterious reason to use uh, this kind of time to speak and to bring your grace in specific ways to people. And so as we open ourselves up to that, whether we come in the midst of grief, um, depression, or whether we come with some joy and newness in our life, whatever the case may be, whatever we bring to the table this morning, we're looking for your voice. We're listening for your words. And may you tune our ears to the sound of your grace this morning. Because we know as we sit here, we don't want to admit it, but we know that our lives and our world are full of messes and we are broken. And yet, the scriptures tell us over and over again that you move towards the mess, into it, to bring its redemption. So that we can walk away saying, Although we are more broken than we care to admit, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. Those two things are true and unique to this story of grace from the scriptures. Would you bring that alive to us now in this time, answering the needs of our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It was a lovely summer day in Big Sur, I don't know if you've ever gone camping there, but our, our families, my family plus my wife's family from Michigan and Chicago were camping in Big Sur. And half of the group decided that they wanted to go, they really wanted to go for a hike. 
which is a, a, that's a great idea, right? Big Sur, go for a hike along the coast where you can look out at the ocean. And for whatever reason, I was part of the group, I still don't know why, but I was part of the group that stayed at the camp and just you know, sat in a chair and read my book or whatever. Uh, much to my regret later on, because the group that went for the hike came back beaming and full of descriptions and stories of getting to watch what I think they called something like a sea party or an ocean celebration or something like that. They had all these words for it. Because what they, they had been hiking along, which if that's not beautiful enough, just to be along the coast of California by Big Sur, to be looking out and seeing the ocean and look, you know, the cliffs and just all the things they probably were seeing. But then they looked out and they saw this group of humpback whales coming up and doing this lunge feeding of like krill or whatever they're eating. And then, but it wasn't just the whales coming up. It was apparently, according to them, it was like dolphins swimming around the outskirts of it and seabirds coming in and dive bombing. And it was just right there where you could see it close to the coast. And the, you know, the joy and the stories and the look on their face like this, they had just experienced something sacred and holy. Have you had an experience like that? When's the last time that you had a moment that was like, I'm experiencing the beauty and the harmony of the world, the natural world? You've had, I can see it in your faces, you've had these kind of experiences. It can be, maybe it's just, you know, the, looking at a newborn baby, maybe it's um, just the way the fall colors look, maybe it's um, you're sitting on the side of a, a body of water and just the stillness and the beauty and the harmony of how it's all coming together, or maybe it's you know, you're just driving down the street past a beautiful park and then all of a sudden you see this collection of people all lined up and it's a bride and a groom and the groomsmen and the bridesmaids and they just look perfect. And they're getting their photograph or whatever and the beauty there, I mean, it just takes your breath away. You know, these people haven't looked this good for 10 years. They're like, you know, they got everything put in its right place and perfect and the clothes match and you're looking and you just... It's just, you just want to, you know, these, these experiences where you just want to keep looking. It's just, you want to slow down the car or just stop where you're walking and take it all in. We have these experiences of harmony and beauty of the world around us. And unfortunately, I have to touch on the flip side of that as well, because we also have these experiences where we experience the disharmony, where we experience the spoiling of the world around us, of the, the ugliness, the mess, whatever you want to call it. We have experiences where we have as much of an inner feeling negative as we have positive with those other things, where that, that inside of you, you just ha- have this feeling. I don't know any other way to say it, but there's just a sense of it shouldn't be like this. There's, that, there's even that sort of judgment in there, like not just this is bad, but this, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. There's a, a movie that I got to see, a heavy, heavy movie called First Reformed. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's by director Paul Schrader. And in this movie, um, he depicts some of this, especially the ecological ruin in our world. Um, and so there's this one character in the film who is so distraught and just completely disoriented and filled with hopelessness because of the way that our planet is being treated by mankind and all the stats that you can say about species, extinction, and all the rest, and pollution. He's so filled with distress and hopelessness about it that he eventually takes his own life. 
And not only that, but he has wishes for his funeral that he has written down. And they are that, and the scene really brings this out when they depict this funeral service. He wants it to be held right on the edge of the water of this super fun cleanup site where the environmental devastation is the backdrop for his funeral as people stand on the gravel and there's these ugly rusted pieces of metal coming out of the, the soupy oily water and the music is playing the sad music of his funeral and so we have a great disparity those are two very different kind of images what do we do with that how do we make sense of the disparity between those two images? It seems difficult to reconcile. We might wonder on this day that is called Christ the King Sunday, we might have some questions that come to mind when I paint those pictures. These are questions that we live with. Is Jesus really king in any visible way? Sometimes... That, that kind of impulse comes up if you're a Christian. Or we wonder, does it do any lasting good to work for the good of the broken world around us? Are we getting anywhere? Is this helping? And maybe tempted along those lines to go the way that, that unfortunately many religious and Christian people have gone, and you've probably heard and seen examples of this, sort of the escapist route, right? And to say, well, there's a home for me someday by and by in the clouds, a spiritual world, a spiritual home, kind of just bracket off all this sadness and destruction over here and just look to that heavenly home, that bliss in the sky where my soul will be set free from this destructive matter. What we're doing when we talk about this is we're looking for a guiding framework. We're looking for, and what I want to talk about is really, to put it another way, a worldview. And what we want to talk about today on Christ the King Sunday is what does it look like to have a biblical worldview? I don't know if any of you know what I'm even talking about when I say that. But there's this author named um, Albert Walters, and he writes a book called Creation Regained. It's an incredibly rich but short book that lays some of the importance of a biblical worldview. It lays it out. He's, he talks about the need for a worldview. He says a worldview, even when it is half unconscious and unarticulated, functions like a compass or a, a road map. He says our worldview shapes to a significant degree the way we assess the issues, the events, the structures of our civilization, civilization and our times. It's a worldview. And he says, it is not only our views and arguments that are decisively affected by our worldview, but all the specific decisions we are called upon to make as well. He says, when the going gets rough in a marriage, is divorce an option? When taxation is unjust, do we cheat on our tax forms? Should crime be punished? Will you fire an employee as soon as it is economically advantageous to do so? Will you get involved in politics? Will you discourage your son or daughter from becoming an artist? <laughs> the decisions you make on these and many other issues are guided by your worldview. And today we have um, 
Colossians chapter 1 staring us in the face. Colossians chapter 1 is ushering us into the big picture of the Bible, the worldview that the Bible gives us. And I want to key in especially, as we, as we just touch on a couple points of this, I want to key in on some of the language, especially um, starting out right at the beginning, if you really look at this, verse 15 to verse 20 is, is, is really packed with one kind of theme around these words, and you'll see it right away. It's talking about Jesus, and it says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That word all is important, and it keeps cycling throughout because it says very, the very next phrase, for in him all things were created. And it goes on and on with all things have been created through him. And then as it wraps up, it says, and through him, God's going to reconcile to himself all things. So there we are again. All things, not some things. Very important. All things, not just some things. What are we getting at? What I would say, and what um, Al Walters and many others have said, is that we tend to have whatever worldview you bring in this morning and are sitting here with, your way of kind of making sense of the disparity of the goodness of our world, the harmony and the mess and the spoiling of it. How do you make sense of it? You have some kind of worldview. And, and all of us have a pretty high tolerance for what we could call dualisms in our worldviews. That is to say... Colossians 1 is saying all things created and eventually God's redeeming all things. We have a high tolerance to say some things. We look at the world in one way or another, we're dualistic. We say here's the sacred, here's the secular. Here's the good, here's the bad. And we try to figure out where that is and locate the good somewhere in here. So we might... Locate the good inside the church. We might locate the good inside the religious right. You know, that was in, what, the 80s and the 90s. Or we might locate the good as the environmental agenda. Or we might locate it in local government versus big government. Or in the oppressed over against the oppressor. Or we might be looking for the bad, and we say the bad is over there. We, and there's a long history of religious people doing this. The, the bad is over there with dancing and card playing. You know, there was a, we laugh now, but there was a time where that was the, the cutting-edge burning issue of the day in terms of in religious circles. Don't play cards, don't watch movies, don't go dancing. So we might locate the evil in, you know, in Hollywood or in rock and roll. Or in today's world, we'll hear people say things like the liberal media. So where is the good? Where is the bad? And we like to say, okay, now we've got it contained. We can stoke the good over here and we can kind of contain and condemn the bad over there. But instead of doing this, the biblical worldview from the beginning of Genesis 1 all the way to Colossians 1 is consistent. Is that everything around you is part of a good creation. Everything was created good. You look at Genesis and it's like, first day, good. Second day, good. Third day, good. Fourth day, good. It's a way of saying poetically, at all levels, all things were made good. 
And then, of course, the biblical worldview shows the sort of spoiling, the sort of getting messed up, getting broken, going kind of haywire. But that's attributed to human sin that kind of spreads to all things. So that what we have is we have a world where every square inch of it reflects a created goodness, and yet every square inch of this world has been affected by this fall, this spoiling, this kind of everything going haywire. So it's not, it doesn't really help us to locate the problem in this one area or these five areas and imagine that we're getting somewhere because the real problem is how the spoiling happened and how things can get put back together. And so a better, maybe a better division to make, and this again comes from Al Walters and his book Creation Regained, is to make a, an interesting distinction and say there's every single thing within our world has a structure and then a direction. So within everything, there's sort of this created structure, the way something was made, but then there's also a direction that that, that kind of original goodness can go. It can be used to serve good, it can be used to be spoiled and serve evil. So everything sort of has within it this distinction. So in every situation, rather than, oh, I'm going to condemn the internet because it's bad and it's leading to all these things, you look at it and go, no, there's sort of the internet is a part of the you know, development of human technology. It's a part of uh, God's created goodness of this world and humans' development of that good created stuff. And so it's just sort of this thing. So where is it, how do we look at the internet, for example, to be going used towards good or used towards evil. That's just a really quick off-the-top-of-my-head example, but you get the idea. You get any kind of deep, tricky question of our life, and that's the way that you're led to think, rather than a dualistic way. So the story, according to the Bible, Colossians 1, Genesis 1, the whole rest, the whole thing tells us this. This is, again, how Al Walters puts it. Redemption is recreation. If we look at this more closely, we can see that this basic affirmation really involves three fundamental dimensions. The original good creation, the perversion of that creation through sin, and the restoration of that creation in Christ. It is plain how central the doctrine of creation becomes in such a view, since the whole point of salvation is then to salvage a sin-disrupted creation. Something to note on that point is just notice how maybe unusual that sounds to our ears to think about creation as being redeemed, as being reconciled to God. So if we look at the passage we're reading, we might be surprised a little bit that it says, for God was pleased, in verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, talking about Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You've probably heard preachers, churches, religious people talk about the blood of Jesus. There it is right there in that passage, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And you, and you probably expect in this verse even, because you've heard this so much, that it's, gonna talk, it's talking about people and people's souls maybe even. Your soul has been reconciled. But that's, notice that's not what it says. Through him to reconcile to himself all things.
And so in, in a much more brief way, you could say the whole Bible story is about this. And Dutch theologian Herman Bovink put it very succinctly in just a couple of lines. He says, God the Father has reconciled his created but fallen world through the death of his son and renews it into a kingdom of God by his spirit. It's very brief, very succinct, but it kind of tells, that tells the whole story. God the Father has reconciled his created but fallen world through the death of his son and renews it into a kingdom of God by his spirit. And in one way or another, we're always in some way not happy with this sort of holistic worldview that looks at all things in this way. For some reason, this is too hard for us to wrap our minds around. We're always looking for ways to separate out and, and make, call it, create a dualism. One of the most common ones throughout the church's history and that came into play in the first couple centuries of the church was something that began to be called Gnosticism. Let me just read a little explanation of Gnosticism. In the early church, there was a heresy called Gnosticism that denied the goodness of creation in a fundamental way. It held that the creator of Genesis 1 was a subordinate evil deity who had rebelled against the supreme good God and that the world he made was an evil place. And, and just stop and think about how, you know, how enticing that view is, right? Like that picture, that disparity I explained at the beginning. It kind of, in some ways, this, this viewpoint isn't crazy. It's kind of looking to make sense of the broken world around us. So, that world is made, uh, that the world that this other deity made was an evil place, a prison from which people had to be rescued. The Gnostics considered salvation to be a flight away from this evil world in withdrawal and detachment in order to achieve a kind of world in withdrawal and detachment in order to achieve, oh, I just said the same line twice. Flight from this evil world in withdrawal and detachment in order to achieve a kind of mystical union with the supreme God. And in the early centuries of the church, there was a church father, Irenaeus, and many others who, who wrote extensively to, to kind of battle this dualistic view of Gnosticism and to say, no, that's not the, the picture that the Bible gives us. And before Gnosticism even came on, Colossians was here to argue with and to speak against very clearly that Jesus, do you notice in this passage? It's saying that Jesus was the firstborn over all creation, that in him all things were created. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then as, as, that verse, as the verses carry on in our passage, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Colossians 1, before Gnosticism even showed up on the scene, already gave this very clear argument that no, Jesus is the creation king. He was there at the beginning. It was made through him. Everything that you see around you is connected to this creation king, and this creation king has returned, and he's, and he's done that exactly to put it all back together and to reconcile it back to himself. There's nothing about this that is about escapism or about, oh, this evil world created by an evil deity and we need to escape to a better one. 
In fact, Colossians 1 is this argument for, hey, there's this designer, there's this builder, and he's responsible for the glorious diversity and harmony and beauty that you see all around you. And seeing that it has become spoiled, he becomes physically embedded and embodied in the mess. He puts the flesh on in order to repair it. Repair what? Just our souls? No! All things! And so, it's been said that God didn't create junk, and he didn't junk what he created. This damaged world is already getting restored by its original designer. That's a biblical worldview. Another simple way to kind of remember this worldview and this this guiding view of our world that comes from the Bible is that the Bible tells a story in four acts or four phases. Maybe you've heard this before. There's creation. It starts there, but then there's the fall, and then there's redemption, and then there's recreation or new creation. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. That's the flow of this story. So what are the implications of this worldview? Really quick. Well, one of them is that this Christian worldview tells us that the Bible doesn't have tolerance for escapism. This is a non-escapist outlook on life. Non-escapist. In fact, I want to read a quote from the great ecologist, environmentalist, John Calvin. John Calvin is actually one of the thinkers amidst the Protestant Reformation. But this is what he writes when he was looking at Genesis 1 and and writing instruction based on Genesis chapter 1 and the creation account. He says, Let him who possesses a field partake of its yearly fruits. Listen to the way. This is is non-escapist. This is engagement. So So partake of its yearly fruits that he may not suffer the ground to be injured by his negligence. But let him endeavor to hand it down to posterity as he received it, or even better cultivated. Let him so feed on its fruits that he neither dissipates it by luxury, nor permits it to be marred or ruined by neglect. Moreover, that this economy and this diligence with respect to those good things which God has given us to enjoy may flourish among us. Let everyone regard himself as the steward of God in all things which he possesses. Then he will neither conduct himself dissolutely nor corrupt by abuse those things which God requires to be preserved. And you can quickly see how as Calvin is talking about Adam being placed and entrusted with the garden, the care of the garden, you can quickly see how John Calvin is saying this this flows out into every part of creation that our our jobs and our outlooks that we get to engage with. And that flows nicely into my next implication of this kind of worldview is that it it involves comprehensive engagement. There is nobody whose life is not touching on some part of the created, good created world that God made. And so whether it's academia, or whether you work a trade, whether you, you're a stay-at-home parent, a teacher, whether you're in retail, or healthcare, a student, or retired, this is all about seeing yourself as a part now, as God has begun to give you a taste of being reconciled to God. 
and we'll have a chance to celebrate that as Christians at the table here. You also then look at how am I now a reconciler of all things? How am I touching on the goodness of this world and moving it in the direction of things getting more and more reconciled to God? That's our story. And third, another implication of this, and let's say this is the last one for today, is that this view is always hopeful. This worldview arms you with hope as you go out into the world around you. In our passage today, it talks about Jesus. And it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. What what you just get a taste of in that little phrase of the firstborn among the dead is that Jesus is sort of at the beginning and leading us into this outlook that says, through Jesus and through his resurrection, death has been put on notice. And death and decay in all the ways that it spoils the things that our lives are a part of. Victory over death has been declared through Christ's resurrection. Jesus kind of leads the charge against the spoiling of creation. And in a sense declares to all of us, in case we doubt it, that matter matters. We're not just looking for some salvation for our souls by and by and just let the world burn. But when we face the the deepest, most discouraging ways that death and decay come into our lives and discourage us, depress us, and put us into great pits of grief, there's always hope in this one who is the firstborn among the dead. And we take that hope into the natural world all around us. We have a hopeful outlook all the time no matter how big the challenge is, no matter how huge the evil seems to be or seems to be winning. And since we're we're kind of in the flow with um, Reformation, Protestant Reformation thinkers, there's a story that's told about Martin Luther. Is that he was working out in his garden planting peach trees and that a a fastidious neighbor um, came to him and said, you know, what are you doing? There's so much work to do in this world. What are you doing out here just planting these trees when there's so little time and so much work to be done in God's kingdom? And the story goes that Martin Luther's reply was, I am planting these peach trees for the new heavens and the new earth. It's that kind of, that's what we're getting at today with this worldview. It's that way of, there's, small, there's little things you do in this world. There's little things you do, whatever your place in life is, that are like planting little seeds of the new creation, of resurrection in this world. That's what it means to be walking with and to be saved by and to be believing in a creation king. Let's pray. Our God of grace, You are so filled with love, but may we remember that it is not just a love for us, not just a love for people, but a love for this world that you made. And although we stand here participants in the spoiling, we accept and we receive against all of our dismay 
your great grace and forgiveness and the fact that you've not thrown us out and you've not thrown your world out into the trash heap, but you've decided to work in this world and lo and behold, you've decided to even work through us. And so may we offer something of gratitude for the way that you have saved and restored us and called us your own children again. May we be able to offer something each day to move each part of this world towards the new heavens and the new earth as we look forward to your returning to sit on the throne inside of everyone and all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.